Well, I want to invite you right now to, to uh, pull out your notes, even though your notes are blank. The reason they're blank is because throughout this series, I haven't necessarily wanted you to focus on filling the blanks and, and trying to follow you know, the scripture or the outline. The notes are simply available to you. If God speaks something to you that you need to write down, that's what the notes are for. Because what this series was intended to be is not just a typical series, but if I could describe it like this, and I know this, this sounds a little you know, blunt, but the series was intended to be a slap in the face. It, it really a wake-up call spiritually. For us to kind of look at our Christian faith and the version of Christianity that we participate in and ask ourselves the question, is this the version that Jesus died for? Is this what he intended it to look like? Is this, is this kind of the, the Christian life that I live, is this really what Jesus meant when he was hanging on the cross? And so instead of giving you notes to follow, one of the things I'm doing is on our church Facebook page, all of the scripture and kind of the key points for today will be on our Facebook page so that you can you know, later go and pull out the scripture and review it and process that and think about it. But today I want you to just sit and receive. I want you to kind of soak it in, wrestle with this, let this challenge you a little bit. Let it kind of pierce your soul today and really, you know, ask some very difficult questions about your faith and the life that you live. Week number one, we began with the question, how should we as followers of Jesus respond to the world that we live in? We live in a crazy world. And in week one, I did all sorts of research talking about you know, what happened in Orlando and what happened in Paris and what happened in San Bernardino and talking about, you know, what used to be over there doesn't feel like it's over there anymore. And it's now starting to hit very close to home. And there's a new level of anxiety and a new level of fear. And what's really been interesting is since we've started this series, watch the news just the last three weeks with what's happening with our, with our police officers and, and what happened in Nice. And then this week, what happened in Munich. And it's just it's really, it's really becoming real for us. It's becoming very, very real. Now we're in this state of new anxiety and new fear and trying to make new decisions. And how do we live our life? And do we go to public places? And, and how do we you know, keep our family safe and protected? And fortunately for those of us that follow Jesus, Jesus made it very clear. He answered the question. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower today, if you're not a Christian, one of the great things for you coming to church is you can come to church and enjoy it and you don't have to do any of it. Like you can sit and, and you don't have to apply any of this. You're under no obligation at all if you're not a Jesus follower to do anything we talk about today. So you can just kind of pick and choose what you like. And if you don't like any of it, you can just throw it all out. And that's kind of, you know, the luxury of not being a Jesus follower. But for those of us that have given our life to follow Jesus, we take our cue from Jesus. Like, like we are Jesus followers. So we are under an obligation to follow him and do it his way and the way he outlines and the way he kind of dictates. And so Jesus answers this question for us. And we talked about it week one. He says, don't be afraid. I know the world's freaking out and I know terrorism seems like it's winning and, and all sorts of crazy stuff is happening. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body but cannot touch your soul. In other words, he's saying, don't be afraid. If the worst case scenario is they kill this body, don't be afraid of that. Like if the worst thing they can do is kill this body, it's not even permanent. This thing is temporary anyways. You're just passing through. Guess what? You're going to get a new one of these that's not going to break down and it's going to live forever. So don't freak out and lose your mind if the worst thing they can do is kill this body. 
There's more, rather fear God, because there's an eternity to look into. This life is so temporary and short. And so at the end of the series, we asked a couple questions that, that I heard Andy Stanley ask of his church earlier in the year, and I, and I felt just so convicted by these, and I thought, man, every church needs to wrestle with these. And one of them was, is our version of Christianity worth dying for? Like, is our version of living for Jesus, is our, our Christian life, the way we pray, our faithfulness to read the Bible every day, the, our, our commitment level to our local church, is our version of Christianity worth dying for? Like, really, what is, the, what is our version of Christianity worth? And a better way to put it is the way we live worth the price they pay. When you look at the early church and the first and second and third century Christians and how they shed their blood and they were tortured and killed and torn apart by lions and bears and gladiators for their faith in Jesus is the way we live our life here in North County, here in America. Our version of Christianity is the way we live really worth the price that they paid. Last week, we asked the question, what should come to mind when you hear the term Christian? There's a lot that does come to your mind when you hear the term Christian, but the question is, what should you think about when you hear about Christians? Because there was a time and there was a version of Christianity that was fearless, that was bold, it was radical. It was, it, was, it was incredibly selfless. It was radically generous. It was compassionate. And unfortunately, that's rarely what you think about when you think of the term Christian today. So as we end this three-week series and this kind of challenge and this kind of wake-up call and this kind of slap in the face to our faith, what I want to end with is the thought of once upon a time. Once upon a time. You see, once upon a time, there was no such thing as Republicans or Democrats. Once upon a time, there were no conservatives or liberals. Once upon a time, there was no America. There was no Constitution. There's no Bill of Rights. There was no, you know, First and Second Amendment rights, no freedom of speech. Once upon a time, there was just Rome. And Rome was an empire that ruled the world. It began as a republic, and Caesar Augustus turned it into an empire, becoming the first emperor, and it dominated the entire world. And people lived in fear of the Roman Empire, and they were subjected to the Roman Empire. And once upon a time, all there was was Rome. And in the backside of the Roman desert, in a little kind of Palestinian area, in a no-name town of Bethlehem in Judea, there was a little Jewish baby born. And the most insignificant part of the Roman Empire. And this little Jewish baby would grow up, and the fame and the renown of this little Jewish baby would one day eclipse the fame of Caesar Augustus. But not only Caesar Augustus, one day his fame would eclipse all of the emperors of Rome. In fact, the only reason we know some of the emperors of Rome is because of this little Jewish baby, because they are footnotes in his story. And this little Jewish baby in this no-name, you know, insignificant part of the you know, backside desert of the Roman Empire grew up and he became a Jewish carpenter. And one day they took this this Jewish baby, and they put him on a cross, and they crucified him, and he died. And they buried him in a tomb, and three days later, God resurrected him from the dead. And then a group of people who loved him and gave their life to follow him began a movement called The Way, 
And these people would go on to live in such a way that they were fearless and they were selfless and they were brave and they were heroic and they would give their life and they would give their blood to establish what you and I now get to enjoy being here today. They gave their blood for what we call the church. And now it's our turn. It's our turn. They now hand the baton on to us. And we now pick up the baton and we begun to run our lap of this relay race called Christianity. Because someday in the future, there will be a once upon a time story about us. And I wonder what they're going to say. You see, this is the reason why we do not go to church. You don't attend church. You don't go to church. The church isn't a building. We are the church. Jesus never intended the church to be something you attend. Jesus never intended. He didn't die on the cross for you to have somewhere to go on Sunday. That wasn't the purpose of his death. He intended us to become the church, a living, breathing movement, his very body, his hands and feet to the world around us. That's what he died for. If you're here today because you want a place to attend for you to better your life, you've missed the whole point of what Christianity is about. There's probably other religions that would be better for you. Because what this is all about is not a place for you to attend and not a place for you to go and not a place for you to learn how to become a better person. But this is a place for people who want to lay down their life selflessly to follow a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. And that's what we're here for. So I wonder, what will our story be when the story is told about our generation, specifically about American Christians in 2016. What are they going to tell about us? So today what I want to do is I want to end this series with a very challenging story from the book of Acts. And the reason this story is so challenging is because it reminds us that there was once a version of Christianity that was fearless. There was a version of Christianity that was heroic, that was brave, it was selfless, it was generous, it was compassionate, it was radical. It was a version that changed the world. And so we're going to look at the book of Acts today. And when Acts was written, the author Luke had no idea that the book of Acts would ever become Bible or ever become Scripture. He was actually just writing a historical document. He was investigating Everything that was going on for a friend to tell the story to a friend. And we now enjoy it as part of our Bible. But Luke never had any idea that this would ever become scripture. He was just writing history. And part of the history takes place 60 days after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. In Acts chapter 3, 60 days later. And it's very important for you to understand that this is just two months ago. Like two months ago, Jesus was hanging on a cross in this very city. And now Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray. And the temple grounds in Jerusalem was this 34-acre property with all these beautiful gates and, and different entrances. And at one of the gates of the temple sat daily a beggar who was lame and crippled in both of his feet. He had never walked. Over 40 years of his life, born that way, never Walked And daily he would sit at the temple and he would beg and he would rely on the compassion, the generosity of others to survive. And as Peter and John were going to the temple for prayer, as they did often, 
And as they did regularly, the beggar looked at them expecting, as he did, to receive something. And for whatever reason that day, Peter and John forgot their money, left their wallet at home, whatever it was. And Peter looks at this beggar and he says, silver and gold, I don't have. But what I have, I'll give you in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And we read that so quickly, but I want you to realize 60 days ago, this Jesus was hanging on a cross, not too far from where they're standing. In his name, not in my name, not in my power, not in my ability, but in the name of the Jesus who was crucified two months ago, in the name of the Jesus who hung on a cross not too far from here, in his name, get up and walk. And this beggar was supernaturally healed and followed them into the temple grounds. And now there's a crowd of people because all these people who had seen this man for years and they knew he couldn't walk. They knew he was born that way. Now there's a crowd gathering around them and they want to know what in the world happened. How were you healed? What miracle took place? Who did it and by whose authority? And so Peter and John now have this crowd and Peter begins to preach to the very people who two months ago were in the crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And Peter says to these people, if you want to know who did it, it's the Jesus that you killed. Now think about this. He's talking to the, not, not, not killed because of your sin. He's talking to the people who yelled crucify him. He says, you killed him. You killed this Jesus. And by this Jesus, this man was healed. And so the temple guards and the temple you know, officials come by and you know, they thought they dealt with this Jesus thing. And now for the last 60 days, they're dealing with all these rumors of people who had met Jesus and saw him risen from the dead. And, and they're trying to stamp this thing out so no one will talk about it. And now there's all these rumors. And now here in the temple, a man is healed in this name of Jesus. And so they arrest Peter and John. I want you to think about this. These are the very people who arrested Jesus. So Peter and John spend the night in jail, very likely the same jail cell that Jesus stayed in, arrested by the same people who arrested Jesus. Now, think about this. Peter and John know what could happen. They know very likely they're going to experience the same fate of Jesus. I mean, they're arrested by the same people. They're spending the night in the same jail and the next morning, Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, you know, the son-in-law and the rest of the priestly family, because it was this family business, they come to Peter and John to question them. And these people have the power over their life. These people with one word can say crucify, and Peter and John will be crucified. So that's the context. And so they say, what happened? And Peter and John look at these people who literally have the power of life and death in their hands. And instead of being timid, instead of being afraid, instead of trying to back out, they look at these people and said, you killed him. God raised him from the dead. Now say you're sorry. That was their message. I mean, it's amazing. And then he goes on to say something so offensive. This is one of the most offensive verses in the Bible. Here's what they say next. Peter says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. To which people have said, how narrow-minded. 
How, I mean, th that's why we don't like Christians. That's why I'm not a Christian, because Christians are so narrow-minded, and they think they're the only way, and that all the other religions are wrong. And No, no, they're not wrong. It's just, it just doesn't matter what you believe. All roads lead to heaven as long as you're sincere. And here Peter and John are, talking to people who have the power of life and death, and they say, look, there's no other name. Your Judaism is not going to save you. This animal sacrifice is not going to save you. The gods of Jupiter or Zeus are not going to save you. The only name by which all men can have any possibility of being saved is the name of Jesus. So before you, you, know, you criticize them for being so narrow-minded in their views, I want, you to, I want you to realize for a moment that, that, that you've got you to give Peter and John a little slack. Because two months ago, they saw their friend, their Messiah, their rabbi, their teacher, flogged, crucified, dead, buried in a tomb for three days. And then a couple days later, they had breakfast with him on the beach. When you've had breakfast with somebody on the beach after they've been dead, you get a little excited. You say crazy things. It changes kind of your, your view on life. You, you stop fearing death when you're having breakfast with somebody that was risen from the dead. It excites you a little bit. And so the story goes on. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They knew they could kill him. And here these guys are boldly proclaiming Christ, knowing it could be a death penalty. They, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. And I love that because so many people, they look at me and say, well, you're the, you're the pastor. You're paid to be that way. Like, like, like we, we pay you to be excited and passionate. These guys are bold and they had no special training. Like they didn't know it at all. In fact, the only thing special about them is they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That was the only thing special. They had been with Jesus. But since they could see that the man who had been healed standing right there among them, like here's a guy that was crippled for 40 years and now he's walking around, there was nothing that they could say or do. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and they conferred among themselves, what should we do with these men? Like, like how do we get them to shut up? How do we get this thing to stop? Like, we, we, I mean, we killed Jesus. Like, what else do we have to do to get this movement done with? We can't deny that they performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem now knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in, and they commanded them, never again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. So what do you think Peter and John did? Do you think they like, you know, ran and hid, hightailed it out of town? I mean, whew, man, we barely lost our lives there. I mean, thank God, God got us out of that one. I mean, we almost died. Like, we, we got it. We're, we're listening. We're not going to do that again. No, 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 no. You see, when you've had breakfast on the beach <laughs> with somebody who is dead a couple days earlier, you lose all fear for life. You lose all concern for life. It changes you. So, so Peter and John, they go back to the, to the Christians who are hiding, and they're afraid, and they're worried, and they're wondering, are we going to have to attend two more crucifixions? And what we see in Acts chapter 4 is the first recorded prayer meeting 
in the Bible of the early church. It says, when they heard the report, and the report was basically, you know, Peter and John, you know, they, they come in, and they're like, well, what happened, and where did they keep you, and what did they say, and, and, and did they treat you okay? That was the report. All the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. And, and here's my question. What would we pray? And under those circumstances, in that situation, what would you pray? What would we pray? What would our prayer meeting look like? O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. God, you are in control. You are large and in charge. You created it all. You are mighty. You are magnificent. Isn't that how we pray when when we begin our prayers? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. How small. I mean, honestly, how small? I mean, mean, look at the way they're starting their prayer. God, you're amazing. You're awesome. You're mighty. You're sovereign. You're in control. You created it all. I mean, that's how they're beginning a prayer after narrowly escaping for their life. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor, David, your servant, saying, and he's about to quote Psalm chapter 2. It was a messianic prophecy where, where David was foretelling Christ. And, and they believe now that Psalm 2 was referring to Jesus of Nazareth. Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. Again, they believed to be Jesus. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. And they're telling the truth because two months ago, not too far from where they're praying, Jesus was hanging on a cross. For Herod Antipatus, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, they were all united against Jesus, your holy servant whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. I love that part of the prayer. Basically, God, none of this caught you off guard. Do you know what was going to happen? This was all part of your plan. Why are we freaking out? Like, why am, I, why am I so worried about what just happened? God, you're in control. Like, you know what's going to happen. It was all part of your plan. This needed to happen the way it happened. And now, oh Lord. Now they get into the request. Now they get into their petition. Now they get into what they need God to do for them. And again, what would you pray in this situation? You were just arrested. They threatened to kill you. They just crucified your Messiah, your Savior, two months earlier. What would you pray? What would we pray? Oh, now, oh, Lord, protect us. Watch over us and keep us. Cause our portfolios to grow and our waistlines to shrink and our kids to get scholarship. And God, help me pass chemistry, and I really like that girl. Please let her say yes to go on a date with me. Like, how embarrassing our prayers sometimes, huh? Here's the point. We pray such little prayers. Perhaps that's why so little happens. Here's their prayer. And now, O oh Lord, not protect us. No, hear their threats. God, you know they can do what they're threatening to do. You know they have the power to kill us. They just killed your son. So here their threats. And you don't say anything about like, protect me, Lord. Keep me safe, Jesus. It's going to be dangerous. No. What do they pray? Give us, your servants, great boldness. That's different, isn't it? 
I mean, we'd be praying, God, protect me, keep me safe, don't let them kill me. They're saying, make us more bold, preaching your word, to which we would say, you know what? It was the boldness that got you into this predicament. It was the boldness that got you arrested. We think you've got the boldness part covered. We think you need to tone it down a little bit. You've, you've got boldness down. But again, there was once a version of Christianity. There was once a version of Christianity that was fearless, was bold. Wasn't afraid of loss. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Again, it's all about you, Jesus. Not about us. It's about you, Jesus. It's not about my life and protect me and help me and bless me and get me through school and help me pay rent. No, it's not about me. It's about you. It's about you. Do this through us, for you, for others. Not about me, for you, for others. Look at their prayer. I mean, they're afraid for their life, and look at the way they're praying. And then Luke says, after this, the prayer meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they preached the word of God with boldness. They went out, and they began to preach with boldness. And, and I just need to stop for a moment and, and, and give you a really important point, because there's a lot of confusion for what this looks like today. And so let me say it like this. This is not bold. This is stupid. This isn't bold. This is in the way. This doesn't reflect Christianity at all. These are a few idiots who take a few verses here and there, take them totally out of context, miss the entire heart of God. This is not at all what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about being bold. See, when the, when the early church, when, when the book of Acts church, when they preached the word of God boldly, History tells us that the church grew by the thousands. There was something so attractive. There was something so irresistible about their message and about the way they lived their life that it grew by the thousands. And their boldness had nothing to do with doctrine, had nothing to do with theology, had nothing to do with heaven or hell. It wasn't about sin. Their boldness revolved around one simple truth, one fact. In fact, the very epicenter of Christianity. Here was their boldness. The apostles testified powerfully to the what? To the what? To the parables of Jesus? No, it wasn't the parables. They didn't, they didn't start it on parables. Teachings of Jesus? No, Christianity wasn't started on the teachings of Jesus. See, other religions are started on the teachings of whoever the religious leader was. Christianity was not started on the teachings of Jesus. It wasn't the activities of Jesus. It wasn't the miracles of Jesus. It wasn't the sayings of Jesus. There was one thing that gave them boldness. There was one thing that gave them confidence. There was one thing that they testified powerfully to, and it was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And here, here's the point. Because they believed this to be true, because they believed this to be true, they were fearless. Because they believed God had the ability to resurrect the dead. They lost all fear of death. They lost all fear of loss. It resulted in them becoming radically selfless and radically generous and radically compassionate. Because when you, when you don't fear loss, it's easy to give. When you don't fear death, it's easy to be bold. And what happened is these first century pagans began to take notice of these early Christians. It caused them to lean in and say, who are these do you know why we can fear not? 
Do you know why we have the ability to not be afraid? Why we have the ability to stand confidently and boldly without fear? It's not because our candidate gets elected. It's not because terrorism is eliminated. It's not because the minimum wage is or isn't raised. It's not because America somehow goes back to the good old days. There is one reason we can fear not. There is one reason we can be confident, and it's simply God raised Jesus from the dead. This is what they built the church on. This is the truth that they built their life on. This gave them boldness. This gave them confidence. The fact that God had the ability, the power to raise Jesus from the dead. There's nothing I need to fear. There's nothing I need to worry about. And do you know why Christians believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? It's not because the Bible told us so. That's not why Christians believe this. The reason Christians believe Jesus was risen from the dead is because Matthew was an eyewitness. Matthew saw it. Matthew met with Jesus after the resurrection, and he wrote about it. And Mark, who knew eyewitnesses, wrote about it. And Luke, who investigated it thoroughly and researched and interviewed hundreds of people, he wrote about it. And Peter and John, who were both eyewitnesses, wrote about it. And James, the brother of Jesus, James who grew up with Jesus in the home, James who was not around at all during Jesus' earthly ministry, James who was not a follower and not a believer and who his brother was when Jesus was alive, James only after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, only after God brought him back to life, James comes onto the scene, becomes the pastor of the early church of Jerusalem and makes the statement, my Messiah and my Lord about his brother. That's why we believe it. That it happened because there's no other logical explanation. So, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And because he lives, all fear is gone. And because he lives, I can have hope and a future without fear, and I can have confidence. So, as we close today, what will our once upon a time story be? When people tell the story about our generation, when people talk about us, those of us that ran the Christian race in 2016, those of us that, that followed Jesus during our time and our generation, what will the story they tell about us be? As the nation trembled in fear because of world events and terrorism, and as people looked to the government as their hope and as their salvation, as the rhetoric in America got nastier and nastier, and the, the racial divide grew deeper and increased, and as the nation became more divided and the economy became more unstable, as everything appeared just gloomy and without hope, and as we felt doomed, there were, there were among us those who were fearless. Those who were confident. Those who weren't freaking out and losing their head over every little thing. Those who were involved and they had convictions, but they never condemned anyone. They weren't judgmental. But they made a stand, but they did it in such a way that nobody felt judged and nobody felt condemned because they were loving and they were generous and they were compassionate and they were bold and they were a light and they were salt. There were among us those who simply, they were Christians. They were just Christians. And we were so glad they were there because the worse the world got, the better they got.
what story is going to be told about us? So as we end today, let's, let's go back to Hebrews for a moment. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, again, this is the cloud of people who shed their blood for us to have what we have today. These are people who lost their life in the first and the second century and third century for their faith in Jesus in the 15th and 16th century so we could read the Bible in our native tongue. This cloud is watching us run our race. Since they're watching us and since they paid such a heavy price, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, all the stuff that's slowing us down, that's keeping us from being fearless and being all in. Let's get rid of all of that. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Do you realize there's a race marked out for you? It's not an accident you're living in 2016. It's not an accident you're the age you are living in 2016. God marked that out. God designed that. God planned that. He wanted you to be in 2016 at the age you are with the abilities, gifts, and talents that you have because he has a race that he marked out for you. And here's the key, fixing our eyes on Jesus, not on a political leader, not on a government system, not on the economy, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. He started it all. He's going to finish it all for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. He paid a price, the the ultimate price. He scorned the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him. Consider him. Put your eyes on him. Think about him. Think about what he did. Who endured such opposition from sinners. So that. So that. There's a purpose to this. There's a purpose. So that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. And again, that's, that's tough because there's a lot of people right now who've grown weary and they've lost heart. They're looking at the news. They're looking at the world. They're looking at events. And it's hard not to sit back and feel like the world is ending. It's all doomed. There's nothing I can do. I can't make a difference. Let me just run and hide. When God is telling us to get involved, to be bold, to make a stand, to be light, to live in such a way that we become attractive and irresistible again. And so let me, let, let me, let me give you the kind of the closing thought and let it be Jesus' words. Then Jesus said to the crowd, Jesus said to the crowd, and this is what I want you to wrestle on today. If any of you wants to be my follower, that's the question today. Does anybody here, and don't, you don't need to respond, but does anybody here want to be the follower of Jesus? Do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to follow, not, not join a church, not learn how to become a good person? Follow Jesus, because he paints a picture of what that looks like. He says, if you want to follow me, here's what it looks like. You're going to have to give up your own way. Meaning there's going to be a lot of times you're going to want to do something and Jesus is going to want you to do something else and you're going to have to make a decision. Do I do it his way or do I do it my way? Do I go with my will? Do I go with his will? Because to follow him, you've got to deny yourself. And then he says this, and this was shocking to people in the first century. He says, this is what it looks like to be my follower. Take up your cross daily. Take up your cross daily. And again, the cross at this moment in history didn't remind anybody of Jesus, didn't give anybody hope. The cross represented death in the most horrific form of death imaginable. Can you imagine Jesus telling these guys, hey, if you want to know what it looks like to be my follower, it's, 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 it's like taking up a cross. I mean, that's just horrifying to think about. 
for these guys. And, and that's exactly why. There was a whole group of people one day, and Jesus was teaching a message like this, and they listened to Jesus, and they liked Jesus when he was doing miracles, and they liked Jesus when he was feeding people, and they was like Jesus when he was saying all these good things. And then Jesus said something crazy like this, and everyone said, uh, we're going home. This is too hard. It's exactly what happened. They just said, this is too hard for us. We're going home. We like all the good stuff, Jesus. If you'll go back to doing the good stuff, we'll follow you. But, but this stuff is too hard. Like, I didn't sign up for that. Like, I just want you to help me when I need your help. Like, I'm just trying to get my marriage, you know, better. I'm just trying to, you know, be, you know, learn how to parent these kids a little better. I mean, it's like, you know, I just need some stuff from you, Jesus. But don't ask me to do that. I mean, what do you mean? Give up my life for you? Lay down my life for you. Take a cross and carry it for you. That's a little extreme, Jesus. I think, I think I'm going to go over here to this religion. Do you really understand what it means to follow Jesus? Do you think the American church, American Christianity resembles this? Like, is this really what, what, what he died? When he was on the cross and he was looking at us in and, and America in 2016. Do you think this is what he was imagining? I think this is why we're not making a big change in the world anymore. I think this is why America is slipping away from us because we're not living in such a way where we're attractive and we're irresistible. See, the first century church, they had no power, they had no money, they had no military, they had no influence. Everyone was trying to kill them. They were being slaughtered, they were being annihilated. And this group of people from nowhere with nothing overthrew the Roman Empire. Because they lived a life that was so radical and that was so fearless and that was so bold that it made people stop and stare and notice and wonder. And I wonder if our version of Christianity today looks anything like it. Follow me, he says. Follow me. And so what I want to leave you with with this series is I want you to wrestle over the question, are you following Jesus? If, if this is... By Jesus' words and definition, what it looks like to follow him, does this look like your version of Christianity? Is this the type of follow me that you are doing? And again, you have to wrestle with that and figure out what that means and what that looks like for you. What I want this to be is a wake-up call. We had, we had one of the leaders of the underground church of the Middle East with us last night, and he said something very challenging. He said, you know, if somebody from ISIS held a gun to your head, over your faith in Jesus, would you still be a Christian? I want you to think about that for a moment. If, if you had a gun to your head over your faith in Jesus, would you still be a Christian? Like if it became illegal in America like it is where he lives, and it was a death penalty to be water baptized like it is where he is, how large would our church be? Like how many people would leave the church overnight? Like, nope, 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 yeah, I didn't sign up for that. You know, I just liked it when the good stuff was happening. It's like, no. So that's what we've got to wrestle with. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? As we end today, we're going to end a little differently. I want you to just kind of take a moment, reflect, think about what we've just discussed, what we've talked about, the conversation we're having. And I want to challenge you today to find some time alone. Teenagers, I want you to find five, ten minutes alone today, and I want you to think about this message. And I want you to think about your version of Christianity. And I want you to ask 
a very difficult and honest question. Is your version of Christianity, your version of faithfulness, is it, is it what Jesus had in mind when he was hanging on the cross? And again, it's not about you know, us moving to the Middle East and putting our life at risk or in danger. One of the most powerful things that I heard the guy say last night, he says, listen, God's not calling all of you to, to go to the Middle East and put your life in danger. But he asked this question. He said, how many of you know the two people who check your receipt at Costco every time you shop at Costco? How many of you know the, the story of the person's name at, at Target who works at the cash register that you see on a regular basis or at the grocery store? That's your follow. That's what it means for us. So the question is, how do we follow Jesus in North County? How do we live for Jesus? How do we live that surrendered life for Jesus here in North County? Because very likely, none of us are ever going to have a gun to our head over our faith. The majority of us will probably never experience anything like that. And so the question is, how do we live boldly? How do we live passionately? How do we live fearlessly in the safe, beautiful confines of our little community? And it is possible. You can live that way because there are, there are many people in our church who, who live fearless, bold, generous, compassionate lives here in North County, and they're making an incredible difference. What would happen as a church if we all committed together to follow Jesus? Once upon a time, that changed the world when a small group of people did that. And I really believe it could change the world again. So as you leave today, I want you to wrestle over these thoughts. For those of you that need to make a decision to follow Jesus, I'm going to make it difficult for you. I'm not going to make it easy. Normally I ask you to raise your hand, lead you in a simple prayer. If you need to make a decision to follow Jesus today, I want you to come talk to me after service or come talk to one of our leaders. And I'll personally walk you through it of what it means to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life and commit to following him. We'll walk you through it. See, one of the things that the guy said last night is converts, like you can convert a lot of people to Christianity, you get a lot of people to raise their hand. Converts will fall away from Christ as soon as there's pressure. Followers don't. Disciples don't. And so the real question is, are you a follower or a disciple or are you a convert? So today, the challenge is find some time alone to really reflect on this and really ask, you know, what, what version of Christianity did Jesus die for and what version are we called to live out? Would you stand with me very quickly as, we, as I pray over you? Father, in the name of Jesus, as we leave today, God, let us continue to wrestle over this series, Lord. God, we want to be fearless. We want to be bold, compassionate, generous, selfless. We want the story to be told of us. They were the Christians. They were the Christians, and we were so glad they were there. We were so glad they showed up. We were so glad we knew them. They were the Christians. In the name of Jesus.